Welcome to episode number four of Hold My Clipboard, a basketball podcast focused on the ACAC and CCAA. I am your host, Chris King, and my co-host, Tori Dugan. And Tori, we are brought to you by NARA Studios Executive Director, Kim Capero. <laughs> now, exciting one today, Tori. Uh, we have on Jay Ouellette, the King's University men's head coach, and we have Anthony Skeppel, Briarcrest women's basketball head coach. Um, both coaches, you know, two programs that are kind of on their way up. Briarcrest just medaled for the first time uh, in their history here on the women's side and on the Kings side, on the men's side with Jay. Uh, the program's being stronger and stronger every year, and he's really developing a program. What are you looking forward to in these talks with these two coaches? Yeah, like you said, uh, Kingsmen coming off a better season. Um, I'm excited to hear if they've added any more to their roster. But yeah, they're definitely a team that are rebuilding and on the way up. So I'm excited to hear things about their program. And then, yeah, as you said, Anthony Skeppel, South Coach of the Year, um, led Briarcrest to their most successful season with 13-8 and eight record, I believe. Um, and then, yeah, they achieved a ACAC bronze medal. So I think that is the first program in the women's basketball history. So yeah, really excited to see also what he has added and his takeaways from their successful season. Yeah. So without belaboring the point too much, let's get right into it with uh, Jay Ouellette, the Kings University men's head coach. And welcome back to Hold My Clipboard. This week we have the men's Kings College Eagles head coach Jay Ouellette. Jay is now entering his third playing season as he got hired right during the COVID break. Jay is also the president of the EYBA Association and does program directing there. So Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We are super pumped to have you on. Obviously, um, you being new to the ACAC, but not new to coaching as you, you've ran programming forever. Um, we're going to get to that, but I want to talk a little first just about last season with the Kings Eagles, um, a little bit of a rebuild. Um, I'm going to talk about your style of play after because uh, I watched you play our guys and some really enjoyable things that you guys did. But just talk to us about the overall season, kind of getting back out of COVID. We're now kind of a couple of years out in full go. Yeah, well, of course, I'm, I'm an infant as far as the ACAC goes uh, with all the other coaches out there. But the, the season went well. Um, you know, we had our, our first postseason game, I'd say, uh, in a decade. Uh, we had some some big firsts for the program. You know, we we swept a weekend against Grand Prairie. They hadn't swept a game in a long time. And we had a really good comeback win against your boys after dropping by 35, 36 the night before. So it was some some good culture and character type play. So it was fun to get back at it. Now, one of the things I noticed in that game, um, you guys back cut the living H out of our guys. Um, you guys ran really nice uh, offense three or five. Now, is that a style of play that you guys, I, I'm going to call them a five, but um, through your passing forward, um, is that a style of play that kind of evolved over the season or is that something you guys have built on the last couple of years? Because traditionally, since I've started watching you coach, your teams are very good at back cutting and spacing. Yeah, it's, it's something that we've started with. We want a lot of off-ball movement. I'm a firm believer in, uh, you know, with five guys playing together, it's so cliche, but there's a lot of stronger, more mature, um, older athletes out there that we're trying to battle against. And the more we can move the ball and the more we can get those backdoor cuts, the more it would be. And when you have a talented uh, four slash five in the league in Logan Denoutston, you, you really wanted a lot of stuff to go through him because uh, – he comes from a long lineage of basketball. His 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 mom uh, holds some some records in U sport as well. So he's a comes from a good breed of basketball player. He can't he can't beat the genetics. That's for sure. 
No. So um, when before he took over, before the COVID season, Kings in the 2019-20 year, their record was 3-21. and 21. Jump fast forward after the COVID year, 21-22, when you'd taken over, they went 3-13. and 13, And then this past season, your record had jumped a little bit to 6-14. and 14. So you're definitely obviously making the right steps going forward. Your leading scorers were mostly, so Joshua Hamilton, he is finished, correct? Yeah, he's done, graduated, yep. Yep, and then you got Nick Gregerson and, like you just said, uh, Logan Donaldson, who was a second-team all-conference player this past season. How did they kind of take the front foot going forward with a bunch of young first- and second-year players in the rest of your roster? It was a struggle. Like, to, to be to be frank and be real, we had a divide in the locker room. It looked a lot like a snowball dance. You'd have your kids on the one side and, and, and the seniors on the other side, there was a pretty big divide that we tried to close the gap on. And, you know, some of those seniors took a, a really good approach to it. Some of them just sat in their ways. So it was, it was a mixed bag of, of stuff. So it, the fact that it came together when it did, we had to make some, a, some minute changes and tweaks to how we would substitute and what we would run in the second semester. Cause if you notice in the, in the first semester, we lost about seven games by five or less. Like we were, yeah right on the cusp two two point game with Lethbridge. And it was, how do we change that winning culture? How do we, how do we tip them over to the to understanding how to close out, how to win, right? When you look at the history of the last, you know, seven years or so, uh, some of those guys that were involved with that program, the seniors that you mentioned, they hadn't had a taste of being in those types of games. So. Yep. And then I guess uh, how, how were they able to handle the second semester? I thought you guys played a lot better. Um, was there a change from you got the younger guys that kind of pick up on things and see where you were going, but you've gone from being, I guess, used to losing and teams can get with those older players, get used to losing. Um, was there anything that changed as the year went on, like second semester more so? Because watching you guys, things just started to click a little bit more and you guys were definitely playing a lot better style of basketball. Yeah, the changes were uh, a little bit more of an accountability uh, being held. You know, you you kind of, as a new coach, I'm trying to get the feel for how these guys play, trying to construct what works best for them. And you you get to this fourth, fifth year where they, and Chris, you could probably attest this, and, and same with you, Tori, you get some players that have been in it that long, they either choose to follow or fight, yeah. right? So hmm. how do you continue to get them to follow? And the, and the biggest tool you have is that bench. So when we got into some of those close games, instead of uh, going through Einstein's insanity of repeating the same thing over and over again, we would move to the next player. Like the game we won against your boys, uh, Luke Broder, rookie player of ours, came up with some big, big rebounds at the end of the game uh, where he's usually not in that in, in, in that type of situation or put in that type of situation. Well, when you first semester lose that many by so close, you decide, okay, who are we going to lean on next to see if they have a little bit of fire in them? So it was, it was a conscious choice and it was something the coaching staff talked about. We had guys that could fill the bucket, but maybe defensively just didn't know how to close it out. So we, we just decided, Hey, we tried it this way for so long. Let's, let's make a change and, and see what happens. And, and, and it paid off. And, you know, it, if I think it takes, there's like a, a margin of games it takes to figure out, who you're going to play in certain games. And obviously each game is a little bit different style of play, but uh, as us coaches, it takes a while. And I usually 
my personal preference is to get to around 30 games at some point in the season so that around game 15, I kind of know what I have. Um, was it around that marker for you? Was it around game 10 or 12? Cause 10 would have been your halfway point. Was there like a marker where you started to feel comfortable with your rotations and who was going to come in and out? Yeah, it was, it was, it was right after we, uh, got our butts whooped by Keanu, like most, um, <laughs> we kind of went into that game of this is what we're going to do. Uh, and you got to see in those tough, uncomfortable situations where the true character would come in when you got to those games, where you knew it was going to be, how, how did guys react to that? So those were our last two games closing into the, the Christmas break. And we said, okay, what, what are we seeing? Like, what are our veterans showing us? What are some of our, I mean, in a blowout like that, you're rotating everybody and you get an opportunity to see what they're going to bring to the table in those situations. And that really helped us plan out the second semester. Yeah. And that, uh, the winning games, when you start figuring out your rotation, I, I say this to Tori all the time, um, even when she was a player, winning doesn't necessarily solve your problems on the girls' side. On the guys' side, they start to fall in line because they start to have not an argument anymore of, hey, coach, I should be playing because you start winning and it kind of silences. You talked about that kind of fight or, or with you type of attitude. And uh, I do find on the guys' side, once you snowball it a little, guys will get in line is that do you feel that way the difference from men to women because i know you've dabbled on both for sure oh yeah like the grand piano rolled out we were playing kumbaya after a couple, <laughs> right like everybody was everybody was all singing praise and okay this is working right yeah. after so many trials i mean so many times we had as you talked about our offensive style and play you know they're like well hey we're, we're just tweaking it we got way too many offensive systems and i'm going no we're just adjusting to what some of your guys that are fighting are willing to do and the guys that follow so it was yeah, it, it, solves a, it solves a lot, especially with men's basketball. Just looking here, uh, started in January, the weekend against Nate. Both pretty close games. Lost the first game by nine, second game by five. Uh, then the following weekend, as you mentioned, um, our guys, the Lakeland boys, beat convincingly almost, yeah, 38-point game. And then you had three straight wins. So you turn that around, beat Lakeland again the next night. Uh, 93 to 91 swept the wolves and then yeah you lost to St. Mary's and State, got a win against olds but then going into playoffs like you said the first playoff berth in a decade how was it for your guys after the season was there quite a bit of self-belief coming into this season or yeah kind of talk us through how the locker room was at the end of the season with a pretty successful second semester I'd say I'd say it's, it was a mixed bag. You had some seniors that, again, that were on their way out the door. Um, so I don't know what they would really carry over. I think in a big moment where none of them have been in that situation. So you, you talk about that record, Tori, how much winning was new to the group. Yeah. So now you're going on to this big stage, this big game. And of course, with our, our discrepancy in uh, first years versus seniors, you're playing your seniors to start the game. And we got caught flat-footed. I mean, uh, Yasser, long-time veteran who'd gone through so many injuries. Great game for him. Great to watch him come back from a couple knee injuries and just have the game of his life. I think he scored 20-something in the first quarter. And then once the guy settled into that moment, the belief was there. And then if you look at the box score, you know, it was like 23-21. or it was, it was tight for the next three quarters. But, you know, they just let that first bit slip away. So for the, the guys that are returning – yeah, there's buying on, hey, we can do this. Uh, the guys going out, I, I think it was a mixed feeling. Some of them, it's, hey, they were just relieved to be over because I don't know 
if some of the buy-in was actually there. And I can say that being open and honest, right? That it's just some of them didn't have the yeah. buy-in anyway, story. So as they left, uh, I've moved on to, to the, the guys that did buy-in and hopefully this new crop of guys buying in. For sure. Something I definitely struggle with as a player, uh, being older and trying to get, I guess, the younger rookies or second years to really buy into the common goal. And yeah, when you, Chris always says, when people don't follow on, they just fall off the ship. So, um, and then I guess a question for you here. So, you, like I said before, you lose Joshua Hamilton. Are you returning Nick or Logan? No, uh, we were this close. Logan thought he might go into education because he had one year left. Uh, he's going to take some time to think about it because with that COVID year, it's been a long time for those guys, Yeah. right? It's It's been an extended amount of period of time that they've been doing this grind. And uh, I believe their hearts were passionate. Uh, Hamilton brought a passion. Logan did. Nick did. Uh, Nick's going on to uh, U-Sport with uh, Mike Connolly over at Grant McEwen. I think he's uh, taken a, a, a non-roster spot to get to understand their systems because he you know he's got one year left. So uh, Nick was uh, pretty good to us too. But no, it's some big shoes to fill. So where's the scoring coming from, right? That's what we all ask in the offseason when we lose players like that. Well, tell us what's coming in. What's coming in this offseason? I know that you have connections everywhere, especially in the Edmonton and Metro area. So tell us about what's coming in this offseason. Everything and everywhere. <laughs> uh, I, I got fortunate enough that uh, a young man that I coached when he was a kid, uh, Alberta boy, he went through the WCPA program. He came out of Spruce Grove, Comp, Brock, Stupar. Uh, he headed out to Fleming College in Ontario there as a starting point guard and had a really good season. He's a six, six, three and a half, six, four point guard who was 28th in the league in rebounding. And he's going to wow. bring a bit of a, a composure to our, our young point guards. So we got him coming in. I was fortunate enough to pick up Noe Chomo, who played a little bit for Grand Prairie and was also slated yep. to possibly go to Nate right before things got shut down in, in uh, the COVID year. Um, he wants to be a pastor. So Kings is the perfect fit. And he's got some experience and size. And uh, I got a, a, another young man um, from Spain, played with the Red Deer uh, Kings last year for a little bit. They were just overloaded with international uh, players. He was like right. the fourth guy. So pretty tough to squeeze in amongst those big boys as a guard. <laughs> you know, uh, we all know Darren liked to play his big. So uh, that's how Darren played. Of, uh, that's how Darren played. <laughs> yeah. And we got a bunch of young, exciting guys from Winnipeg, BC, uh, some size. Uh, we got a, a guy named Benjamin uh, Thies that's, very similar in build to Logan Denoutston. Uh Again, young, it's going to take some time to get him there. I don't think anyone will ever fill Logan's shoes, but uh, yeah, we got about 11 new players. So oh it was a gosh. very busy off season. And the big messages to these young guys is, Hey, we think you're a perfect fit for the program. Just not right now. Like it's yeah. going to be a, you're going to have to to learn the ropes and, and, and follow along and, and learn from some of the leadership. But again, luckily we picked up some older veterans to help fill those spots. Just looking at your roster last year, you have about 12 to 13 that originally started that were first and second years. Uh, do you return a bunch of those guys or what's that looking like? We do. Yeah, we yeah. do. We've got uh, Cameron Nisley, Luke Brodeur. He's back. We have one uh, sleeper that nobody really knows about. He redshirted all year, uh, Jagger Crossland. Uh, you want to talk about being mentally tough and something that I'm not finding a lot in today's day and age of recruiting between, you know, all oh, no, I'm going to go play prep or I'm going to play club. I don't need to play if you're not giving me playing time. Jagger accepted his role and he did nothing but train, put on about 15 to 20 pounds of muscle, worked wow. on his craft. And by January, late January, February, he was pretty much running our gym. Nobody could really stop him. He's a left-handed two guard, one two guard. 
And I'm looking forward to see, I mean, again, there's going to be a learning curve coming yeah. into it, but uh, it's a good message out there for, I'm hoping it goes really well for him because I would love to say nothing more than, Hey, look at somebody that bought in and sat, took a seat. Uh, lefties are nasty. We know that, uh, Tori can attest to that. They just always, yeah, they always seem to have an advantage. So my dream is to have five lefties. I had three at one point, uh, and then we could play just all left-handed dribble drive. But, uh, okay. Two questions from my side as a coach. The first one is I, I cannot get transfers. We're hosting nationals. No one's knocking on my door. I don't know if it's because we're in Lloyd, but, um, Obviously, being in the city does help in terms of getting transfers, I have to assume. And you guys having specific programming, I think it's got to be a specific individual coming to your program. Um, when you're looking for athletes in your program, obviously a culture fit. But is there a certain type of guy that's going to fit well into the King's University program? Yeah, it's, it's got to be a culture person that's willing to play a role in five. I stay away from, there's lots of transfers out there knocking on the men's doors that are chasing hoop dreams and they're not necessarily buying into the academic side. And at King's, uh, what, you know, the way our school is structured financially, the cost of going to a university, our Christian background, all of those things play into that. So we're really, especially for me, uh, I had uh, a person from CBC News say to me, I noticed your roster has a lot of small town people. Like, what, yeah. why is that? Why, you know, not a lot of the big hubs. And it's because I truly believe in some of those smaller communities, those groups have a buy into playing with and against each other on so many different levels, right? On different sports, different things. Yeah, yeah it, it does. Uh, small town, I think it provides a good background for handling adversity and on the adversity topic. So large roster, uh, we're dealing with this this year. We're, we're going to be at about 19 or so um, this year. And last year, we're pretty heavy. Um, how hard is it to sell the develop and step into the program because uh, it's one of the things that we're really pushing is we have these upperclassmen that have been the last three or four years, quite phenomenal. And we lost a lot last year and all the younger players thought that immediately they were going to be the best in the conference just because they played with those players. And, and it's a learning lesson once you actually get on the floor. Um, but we're finding that kids that just want playing time probably aren't going to last in our program because we're trying to develop you. Um, what's the messaging you're sending to these young rookies? Um, and what are you guys doing with them during the season with this large roster? Uh, Tori and I, Tori loves the shorter roster. So um, she's always up, up my uh, rear about having these big rosters. So talk about how you handle that roster size. It's, it's a mixed bag. I've had to do some learning. Uh, I've made some mistakes along the way coming from a community background and development that I have where you want to keep everybody happy and positive and, 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 and on that same rank. But there has to be some uncomfortable conversations that I'm learning to be more clear about. You know, you use the word and you tell a player there's going to be some opportunity for you. What do they hear right away? It's, I'm going to get to play. Right. Well, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what opportunity means, right? Like opportunity would you know, a blowout against Lakeland for 35 points. You're going to get in today and get some eight minutes to, to let loose and, and make mistakes and, and show that you can, you can get through that. Right. So right. you got to be really clear with those messages because not everybody buys in. And, and I had a coach say to me, you know, you can accept, uh, tell a person their role and they may choose to not accept it. And that's okay. I don't, you don't have to find a way to try and smooth it over. You can have the conversation and let them know, Hey, do you accept this role? Is this the role? But you got to be pretty clear with what that entails. And, yep. you know, if you're having three or four conversations throughout the year and it just keeps coming back to you, it's, well, hey, we talked about this. This is where it's at. Obviously, you're not ready to to accept that role. So maybe we got to talk about something different, right? Yeah, no, it's a hard great. juggle. 
Uh, you got to ask about coaching. Us. I, I'm not touching it. <laughs> no, I could have bought after that. You've had quite a similar situation with last year's team, but we won't go into that. Um, okay, so going back on your roster, I'm not quite sure how many other coaches have had this experience within the league, but you are coaching your son. Yeah. Kind of talk to me about that experience, um, if it's a difficult one or any stories behind that. Um, yeah, just share what it's like yeah. coaching a son. It's difficult. Like uh, Gavin was recruited by Matt Barrero before I was there, him and a, a good friend, Parker. They had some really good success under Chris Delano and uh, 3A. Uh, they were always in the top. They play, you know, Div 1 and always had a good showing. So Chris did a very good job of developing that. He's a great coach. Uh, he's actually a mentor of mine. He's helped me with a ton. Um, but, uh, yeah, when the job came up, Right in Gavin's first year, right before COVID came up, he turned to me and said, don't you dare. Don't you dare apply for that job. He didn't even want to know part of it. And I said, okay. I said, you know, this is something that doesn't come up very often, but I'll respect it and let that be your journey because I've had a few of my own and I'm okay. Uh, about four or five weeks into some coach tryouts and interviews and people running their practices, he comes home and says, okay, the guy said, if you're the right guy, they'd rather have a good coach than not just because you're my dad. And they accept the fact that I was here first. So it's easy for them to say that. So, so that's how that <laughs> happened. And then COVID took place and Gavin decided online learning wasn't for him. He uh, did the right thing. He took a year off, uh, took a gap year. And uh, I also got a, a season of coaching without him to earn my stripes as well and build relationships. So I think I was very fortunate enough. COVID provided some opportunities for me to get my feet wet and really rather than just be thrown to the wolves and have, you know, the rest of the AC coaches tear me apart. I had, I had some extra time to develop. So yeah, having a year without Gavin really helped. That being said, it's still difficult. You get some guys that they take it as low hanging fruit. Um, yeah, right. Gavin's a, a very skilled guard that can move the ball, get you out of a press, a great playmaker. He's not a top scorer, but you know, there's still players that you hear in the background and you find out they're coming, well, it's coach's kid, right? right. Why, why coach's kid's getting it? Cause he's coach's kid. And for me, that that's a tough one. And it wears on Gavin. There's times where he's, He's wanted to split or pull himself out of a game because he doesn't want that. And I'm going, hey, the seniors and the guys that are here for the right reasons, they want you on the floor, right? There's a time for you to be on the floor. You gotta, you gotta get past that. Yeah, a couple, couple coaches, kids here. We can, uh, yes, we can definitely sure. relate to that. Uh, I have to ask before Tori goes again. Does he live at home still? Does he get the drive home post game lecture, uh, or is he, is he living? He's, at he's home? home for the summer. No, we have a strict. <laughs> No basketball as much as possible. It comes up on certain times where I have to say distinctively, okay, coach is talking. I need you to be to this many open runs, right? And then it's back to dad. But we do our best to try and not talk game. Post game, no, I really don't. I, I let him be. My assistant coaches do a good job of working with him. Uh, Tim Watson, good friend of mine, him and I met playing at Concordia together. Uh, he, he does a lot of working with Gavin. Um, in game stuff, I'm with Gavin and you know, he follows what's going on during gameplay, but uh, we really have a good system in place where a lot of the other coaches are the ones that will deal with him. Oh, that's awesome. Kind of answered my question then was as a kid, I obviously came from a coach. My dad is a coached high level professional basketball back in Australia. So I always dreaded the car rides home. Granted, he was very good at kind of letting it go. I'm now your dad. We're off the floor. And then it was looking to mom, well, why aren't you saying this to her? Like she needs to be yeah. better. And how, uh, I guess you get those people who always uh, will use the excuse of the coach's son. Um, yeah. He had a relationship with the older guys who obviously were 
bought in, knew how things went. But now that those older guys, I guess, are gone, um, how do you think this year will shape out for him? Is it something that he'll have to, you know, make more relationships with players, the way you approach things differently? Yeah, how does how will that go? You know, being coach's kid, because we've had many of those conversations before, it took a while to get to this comfortable level where the car ride was not comfortable. Uh, he's got a maturity about him. He was a leader with Chris Delano's team at St. Peter, a captain. Um, you know, there, he had a good relationship with one of the other players on the team. And when he found out one of those players, that same player was kind of talking about him. Gavin has no problem. Uh, he doesn't need a captain title. He just, he's going to be a leader naturally. And he just pulled him aside and said, Hey, you know, we got to talk about this because I'm supporting you and I'm trying to help you get better. Cause that's, what's best for our team. I want you to, you know, I'd love for you and I to split minutes equally. Uh, if, if that's what's best for the team. So where's the support, right? I'm supporting you. I, I really don't appreciate it. So he's, he, he'll hit it head on. He's not afraid to do that, which is makes my job easier because I don't have to have that type of conversation. I don't have to come into a room and be like, Hey, okay, guys, no picking on my kid, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's not right. Like that's not what we want. We want them to be a, a basketball player first in that atmosphere and, you know, rise to the top and go through those uncomfortable situations. Kudos to Gavin for being that type of way and pushing through that because I know for a lot of people that would be pretty hard to overcome and take the easy route be like oh I'm not playing for you anymore so yeah that's awesome to hear from him so and he's gone through that he's had moments where he said you know I don't you know is this is this something I want to continue to do like it's is it is it worth that hassle and stuff and you know real world COVID dragged a lot I mean you get the excitement coming out of high school you're going to play college and then with that big interruption you know, they find other things to do, like many parents did through COVID, especially yeah. with EYBA and Parkland Basketball with, you know, volunteers kind of said, hey, I kind of like to have in my free time. I don't want to get back at this. So it's uh, getting guys to stay engaged. It's it's tough at all levels, especially for coaches' kid. It's a great segue. Coach, you set it up for me there. So let's talk about the Parkland days. Uh, obviously, you ran a pretty, run a pretty powerful program with Parkland. Talk about how Parkland and all your years of experience has kind of prepped you for this ACAC uh, journey and maybe the difference between running that program and stepping into Kings. Yeah, it is right. When you're talking developmental and you're trying to get everybody equal touches and it's, they're two completely different worlds um, where it's, it's a job, it's, 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 a, it's a competitive nature on the ACAC side and you're, you know, there's still development there, but you're still going to play who's best for the team at all times. And, and not everybody's, not having those conversations with parents about why Johnny only played three minutes. And, but we're very lucky Parkland. We have a huge support. There's some people uh, that laid the groundwork well before me uh, to walk in, you know, we had a little co-ed house league and as it started to grow, we found that players, you know, um, with the co-ed, you, you try and separate the teams. Go, okay, let's build balance. We got three top players, three middle players, but only the top players were, were touching the ball. And we grew so big, we reached out to the EYBA, uh, Dave Oldham, a uh, great coach, yeah. uh, great individual, uh, storied family with basketball as well. Um, they'd had a team in the EYBA and they were told, hey, uh, you need to be part of an actual zone or a geographical more than a couple teams. And we were ready. Like we had probably 20 teams chomping at the bit worth of kids to really take it to the next level and make sure that kids were all touching the basketball, right? You're not having a track meet for the other eight while two other guys touch the ball all game. Right. So it, it's been, it's been a big, it's, 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 it's very different. And that was the hardest switch for me guys. When I got to the ACAC was to turn it off and go, this, this is, this is way different. This is I've coached competitive. I played competitive. I understood all that, but when it's ingrained in you and you're passionate about it, I mean, I let go of my sign company for 
15, 20 years to make this switch to basketball full time. So right. Big difference. Well, and uh so shout out you mentioned a former U of L guy earlier, and now you mentioned uh Oldham. Uh Oldham Tory ran one of the most successful high school programs, and then he ended up coaching lots of Team Alberta's coach coach McEwen for a little bit. I assume he's back coaching his kids now that his kids are growing is, up yeah. somewhere in the program. Yeah. Yeah. Him so, and Robin, his wife who played at U of yeah. A as well. So they're, 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 it's, it's nice having people like that in your community supporting you. And same thing, you go to those small communities, those kids are playing with and against each other and everything. There was a chemistry that came out like a shotgun when we came into the league and you, we'd, we'd be warming up and they look over at our little dudes and go, what is this? And then all of a sudden we'd walk out with a 15, 20 point win because it's just chemistry, culture, all those things that have, I've realized those can come with you to the ACAC. We don't have to wait. Always kid. But Jack Armstrong, big clinic with him where he talks about having non-pro producers, pro producers, all that kind of stuff. And it really starts to translate. Yeah. Now with the work with the EYBA, uh, some big changes, you being the ED, is that the title, the executive director? Am I hitting that right? No, uh, what, Taylor's what executive director. I'm yeah. more uh program manager, manager of the building. It's a floating title. We don't know. I just do a lot of stuff. Fair. I like to make up my own uh, titles here at Lakeland as well. So I've done anything from game day to sweeping the floor to booking. So it's all this. You're oh. the Lakeland janitor. Yeah. My kid, sure. my kids, here's a quick side note. Uh, I went to pick up my kids from daycare one day and uh, the lady uh, that runs daycare, she pulls me aside. She's like, Hey, um, are, are you the janitor at Lakeland? I'm like, pardon? She, she, she goes, well, your your daughter says that you clean gym floors, like that's what you do for a job. And I'm like, ah, sure, we'll call we'll call it that. It's I coach basketball, but close enough. So, um, kids never have to now. get you a shirt that says janitor. On <laughs> yeah, I you know what? At some games, I probably deserve it. Um, talk about the growth that you've seen uh, in the youth basketball in Edmonton because um, we're seeing it kind of Western Canada and Canada wide. It really feels like it's really starting to blossom. And especially in the major cities, you're just seeing the numbers. So talk about how that's changed and, and you guys obviously now having a facility to play it. Yeah, it's, I'm from Ontario originally, like born and buried, grew up in Mississauga area. And when I came here, uh, basketball, even football felt a little more recreational than what it was there because we're just a little bit ahead population wise. Yep. And to watch it blow up here in Edmonton with the success of the Raptors basketball in general the affordability of our sport versus some of the other sports out of there while people come under you know financial tough times right now it's it's been insane it's been awesome um chad bowie i'll do another name drop he was president for a long time brian anstice martin Watt, they, they all put together to save up a, a good nest egg a slush fund for the eyba with the visions of a building so i i was very fortunate enough to to take over at a time where I had the funds and the knowledge with my construction background through the sign industry and whatnot to just take it to that next step and, and get it done. So Taylor Ann Stice and I, we had so many meetings with uh, different groups and I know you guys at Golden Ticket have kind of formulated it and made it into something that is easy to teach other people, but going through that natural learning curve, you know, five to seven years before it came to fruition under my presidency and it's it's exciting and people love it they come into the building and it, it's a it's a feeling of home uh it's a place to play that's secure safe inclusive yeah and it's you know it's so, it's so huge for basketball because you know, traditionally everything's been gym based community gym based and and even here having our youth basketball programming here be able to go to hoop factory but even our college athletes having a spot mm -hmm. um 
you can feel a sense of pride develop around that. Um, and that starts from like kindergarten through 20 some year olds. And I think that is the real key and, and what you guys are doing at EYBA, you guys are doing awesome things. So congrats to you guys on getting that done because it is a lot tougher when you're not an independent business like golden ticket is where we can just go get it. You have to jump through a lot of red tape, I would assume to get there. So that would have been quite the challenge. Yeah. As a non-for-profit, right. You want to make sure that you're doing everything in the best interest of your membership. And I'm a firm believer in trying to create a path, Chris. I mean, there's basketball is the wild, wild west out here right now where we're not quite up to snuff with hockey and, and some of the soccer groups where we have a path from grassroots to club to university, high school, all like, it's just not, you know, everybody was kind of doing their own thing and Alberta basketball is doing a good job of trying to bring everybody together. And they're taking some, there's a new board there. Uh, Paul, sir, stepping away at the end of August, 17 years, he's done so much in the community for such a long period of time. So there's lots of fast paced change happening right now. And you feel it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to invite recruits out that are begging me to play and I'm getting told, Hey, I got practice tonight for my club and I'm going, well, hold on a second. <laughs> right. Did you not just pay all that money to get this opportunity? What, what happened? Right. Stuff. Kind of seeing that with the other coaches too, said yeah. something very, very similar. Yeah. It's uh they're doing so much once they get the opportunity, they don't realize how close they are to the end goal. Some of these kids and it's not everyone's end goal, right? Some of them are just playing because they love no. the sport, but a lot of them, once they get there, I, I do think there needs to be an education piece on your options available and, and what that means and, and what it means to go from really, really good high school player to play college. Um, Cause yeah. uh, you know, I went through it. Tori went through it. Lots of players come in that were really, really good and they don't play much to start mm -hmm. but to get that opportunity is a really big you know feather in their cap essentially got got to be an emphasis on teaching especially on the male side the importance of education because i think the, some of these prep programs and i mean i came from ontario so it was a way different uh setup and, and geographical layout for how you got your path um it, it makes sense you know if, if they don't have the grades and they need to upgrade or you know, they haven't quite developed. I've seen kids come out of high school that were six feet tall and all of a sudden they're six, five when they hit 19 and it just didn't happen during high school for them. So there's good opportunities. But one of the metaphors I've been using with some of these recruits is you've got the grades, you've got offers. This is a lot like making the decision whether you're going to rent an apartment or you're going to get a mortgage and invest in yourself where the equity starts to build for you now. Um, Brock Stupar was a great example of that he went and played WCPA, great experience for him, uh, a year of financial where he needed to upgrade. It made sense, right? But had he said, had he paid attention to school in high school, that's how many thousands of dollars in time saved where he had an ACAC offer when he was coming out. He just didn't have the grades. Yep. Right? So. Yeah, and unfortunately, some some people, uh, you know, I'm sitting next to one of these people, sometimes need a kick in their butt uh, to get them going. Um, but it's also the maturity piece. And, and yep. you know, this speaks to the men's basketball side and you know, I'm very thankful I coach women. It comes with uh, certain rewards and challenges on the men's side. Your league, and we just talked to Reagan about it. Your league's so, so old. Uh, and for high school kids to be physically ready to compete, it is really hard for a kid to be physically ready. And boys mentally and emotionally aren't fully developed till like they're 23, 24. So at 18, there's a lot of bad decisions that get made in high school and coming out and, and it makes it super tough for those athletes to compete at your guys's level. Uh, especially when you got teams like Sates and Keanu's that are, you know, as good as a lot of youth sport teams. You hit it on the head. And I, I think, you know, some of the 
the prep academies are out there. I know what Eddie's doing down south. They're they are mentally uh, sunny up here. They're they're getting everybody lined up and they're and they're trying to explain that piece to them because as these offers and conversations start to happen, it, it's hindsight, right? Everyone tells you, oh, high school's gonna be the best time of your life. Make sure you enjoy it and appreciate it. I'm I'm still working on the time machine and I haven't finished building, so get back. <laughs> no, that's so true. Um, going back to I guess the ACAC point within your roster. I'll ask you a little bit of your predictions on the league later, but for your roster particularly, you kind of spoke quite a bit about Jager Crossland and little Dark Horse coming around in your squad. Who are, just name some names who you're expecting with you guys losing three of your senior and key players next season. Who are you expecting to step up and fill that leadership uh, role or step up and kind of take some of that scoring up attributions that those three will leave behind. Yeah, I think uh, Jonathan Barwagon out of Lethbridge, Alberta, uh, he just keeps getting better and better. You know, he was most improved player two years in a row. He was starting to become better defensively. That was kind of one of his weaknesses. Um, he's putting the the ball in quite a bit. At he's developed a really good mid range jump shot last year that helped us. I think he's going to wear some of that scoring responsibility. Uh, Cornelius Mingo Jr., uh, he's been a sleeper. He, he came into the ACAC, uh, tore his patella uh, yeah. the first August he was here and had to sit his whole first year. So last year, despite being a third-year player because of COVID, was his first season actually playing with us. And he put up some great numbers. He's 50% from the field, great mid-range jump shot. For a 6'3 guy, he cleans up lots of boards, uh, just about 30% from the three-point line. And he's fast. He's quick. And we're actually one person I didn't mention is uh, he's we're hoping his brother, his brother is currently uh, as a conditional acceptance. He's six foot five out of Alaska as well. Um, very athletic. So to have have a brother combination out there could help pick up some of the slack. Um, we got Noe Chomo. I mentioned earlier. He's a scorer. He's a left hand. He's a lefty. So Tori, you can appreciate that. He's going to he's going to go at it and he, he can score in drones. So I think he's going to pick up some of that weight. And it's, we're going to have to do it collectively. It's when you're in this situation, you're going to have, I, I honestly believe if we can get three or four more guys putting in 10 or 12 each, we'll be fine. It's just, you play a different style when you have guys that have that maturity that are, art. I mean, nothing funnier than watching my son go out there and stand next to Sean Michael Clancy or one of my <laughs> other point guards and go, okay, bud, good luck. Right? Like it's just, so I think, I think we have, we did pick up some maturity and some size, right? So uh, it's going to be interesting. And then on that, um, I guess, what are your ACAC predictions can be, you can name who you think will be in the final, um, a team that could maybe be a dark horse. Yeah. Just kind of give me your thoughts on those. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious. I think some people have made some good moves. Jordan Baker has been pretty quiet at Nate. I think they had a, a good uh, progression. I know he's lost a few guys, but he's, he's got his thumb on the pulse being with, you know, all his connections as well. He's a very well-connected individual. I think his roster will shore up without problem. I know Reagan Wood's done some good things. But uh, as far as who I think, if I'm going to make a, a safe bet in Vegas, I'm still <laughs> thinking Keanu's still going to be strong. I think Jeremy's, he's going to, you know, as much as he's lost a big piece, I still think he's got some really good pieces there that they were scary when they came off the bench too. So I think Jeremy's going to be there. I'd love, I as a North Conference person, I would love to see them tip over. I mean, of course, I want to be there. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 out of the north, I think uh, Keanu is still going to be one to watch. Uh, in the south, I think St. Mary's took some big strides. I think they're returning quite a few of their guys, and I think they're going to be building. So I'd like to see what they do. And State's, State's a dark horse tour. I don't, 
I'm not counting them out just because Marty's gone and they've graduated some players. I don't know what they're up to. I'll, I'll watch some more podcasts from you guys to figure out what they're up to. We got them. We got them scheduled on here soon, so you'll you'll get to see what Good. they have. And you, and you know what the the men's side um, is so close. You know, yeah. like you talked about your close losses. Well, you guys aren't that far away from being ten and ten or eleven and nine, and a totally different season when you look at it on paper. Um, yeah, the, the parity of this league with fifteen teams is awesome. It is really awesome on the men's side and on the women's side. There is a couple games off, but even on the on the worst opponent, you got to be prepped. There's no more showing up in this league. You just can't do it. It's just gotten too competitive. It happened to us. We had two games. The old game and the Briarcrest, if you look at them on paper and what their season was like, you know, on paper, we should have walked in there and just walked away with it. And it wasn't the case, man. They came to play. Everyone comes to play every single night. And that's part of being a collegiate athlete. And, and those teams that had some older maturity that weren't they weren't just going to fold over and let you take one. Right. And yeah. that was our goal with Kings. When I took over at Kings, you know, uh, one of the biggest things for me was culture. I really coming from the community background and everything. I just really pushed that the first year was. Uh, we we got fortunate enough to get a snippet of material. There's a, a league out here called the Battle League where a lot of the college guys put teams together and they play against each other. And I won't name names, but one of the other groups from another school was caught on video while they were losing a game to the Eagles guys was, hey, you know, look, they're doing this. It, it's just Kings. Like, what are we doing? It's just Kings. And right. we fueled that. Like, that was in our locker room above our door. It was just Kings, dot, dot, dot. Do you want to be known as that anymore? So I think in previous years where – they would have laid down after a 20 point loss the next night to get up would have been tough. It seemed like our second night was always better because they were hungry. They, they didn't want to be just Kings anymore. So I think the, the men's program out there, it's and uh, across the ACAC. I think there's that attitude. Nobody wants to be just anything. They, they want to compete. No, uh, very true. Okay. So I would say from watching Jay, the change since you've got there, uh, the style of play is there the, the you can see it on the bench is starting to come. So the change is. You know, just from another coach, when I watch you guys play, I enjoy watching you guys play. I think you guys are doing things the right way. If there's a right way, I don't know if there's a right way, um, but it's pretty to my eyes. Um, and, and, you know, I think it plays to the strengths that you guys have as a team. Every team's got different strengths. So credit to you for for figuring that out and starting to build that. I think uh, if you stay there and keep working, I, I expect to see you guys as a perennial playoff team here in the next few years. We sure hope so. I appreciate it. It's It's something I strive for as a competitive person myself. Yeah, I, th I think you guys will be there. But, Tori, if you got anything else, uh, we will let Coach go. I know he's busy. He's running camps and uh, doing everything else that all ACAC coaches do, multiple jobs, of course. Um, anything else to close, Tori? No, I've got to say, after this talk, I'm really excited to see what you and your program do next season. Um, yeah, I think you guys are obviously taking steps in the right direction. And, yeah, building on your six-win season from last season, hopefully another playoff berth going further for you guys in 2023 20 I appreciate it and you guys keep up the great work I think this is a great thing you guys are doing for the ACAC to create some awareness because it's it's a great product it's a great league I've watched it for years and uh, really appreciate what you guys are doing this is awesome thanks so much coach great chat with Jay um, really fun guy to talk to that's as long as I've got to talk to him and uh, knows a lot about a lot of things is involved in a lot of things and you can tell his passion for basketball just really comes through what was the big takeaways Tori in that interview well for me on a personal note he had me dialed in the entire <laughs> time definitely someone who spoke so well and 
yeah, definitely had me engaged with everything that he's doing in the program. And I really just love what he's going with the in the direction he's going with the King's culture and how he has a large roster and making sure the kids know that they are all bought into the one common goal. So as we know, it is hard to get everyone bought in with a big team. So I think he's doing a really good job and I'm excited to see what they do next season. It looks like they will keep going on the up. Yeah, definitely building and definitely trying to get players to stay for long-term success. And I think, you know, there's certain programs in our league that can get away with just recruiting the best athletes and having dudes show up and, and being competitive. And there's certain programs that need to build. And you can see the building is taking place and, and the guys are buying into that. So I think uh, we're going to see more success out of Kings in, in the near future. We are going to now jump ahead and talk to Anthony Skeppel, fresh off his bronze medal performance last year at the ACAC Championships, Briarcrest Women's Basketball head coach, of course. Uh, we'll chat with him a little and try to figure out why it's so tough to play in that gym. So here's our interview with Anthony. All right, welcome to this edition of Hold My Clipboard. Today's guest is the Briarcrest Women's head coach and reigning ACAC South Coach of the Year, Anthony Skeppel. Skeppel just led the Briarcrest women to the greatest season in school history, a 13 and eight finish and getting a bronze medal in the ACAC championships. Uh, coach, welcome to the show. We're super pumped to have you. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Now, Tori, uh, Anthony's been with Briarcrest for about six years, third year on the women's side. Um, and it's, it's been a real rapid uh, rise with the women's program. And one of the things that we saw this year with your program was, um, a lot of older players sticking with the team and we've seen the development of your younger players over the last couple of years. And then you guys added a couple um, pieces that really helped put you on the edge. But I think, you know, we played you guys really early, I think September or something like that. Um, and you could, at least from our side, you could kind of feel the change in your guys's team. Just talk about the growth of the programs had over the last three years and um, what you've seen, you know, heading into last year and, and kind of how you guys reach that apex and it's obviously not where you want to go, but it's a huge jump in the right direction. So talk about that change over the last couple of years. Well, you know, as most people know with our program, we went through a, a bit of a situation time in, in 2019, 20, and there was a really good core group of young players that were a part of that team. Um, I was still over on the men's side at that point, but you know, when I took over in 2020, uh, I talked with all of them and it was a big thing that I was trying to do was trying to get them just, Hey, stick around. Like, we can do something really good here. It's going to take a little bit of time, but you know, I know there's hurt right now, but you come back and we can kind of rebuild something here. And those, those players, they stuck around. Um, one of them left for a little bit, but then came back with, uh, with Amber, but you know, having that group, that core group uh, stick around and build something together is kind of really what put us in the position that we were in this year, you know, with, with us, you know, we haven't really been a place that's could, that could take players, you know, on a one or two year thing and kind of, go and be be highly competitive you know we've needed to kind of build and and build with veterans and and try to compete with veterans and and so having everybody stick around has been has been huge for us yeah and you know Tori and I talk about this a lot when you look at the ACAC you look at those top three teams they're old they're old, they're old teams um the the veteran players help win and we saw a lot more composure out of your team this year um with your older players was there any player in particular that really led the reins in terms of the composure in in terms of maybe settling the team down? Because I, I thought when we watched you guys play on tape, uh, there was a lot more settling down than probably in the years past where sometimes, uh, you know, a bad player too would really affect the team. 
or was it just you communicating that to the players over the course of a couple of years? You know, I think it was a lot of just the players growing and understanding how, how the league works and how to play in the league. And, and, you know, we have players that, that did a really good job of calming us down, whether it be, you know, Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn Martins with the ball or, or Amber being able to get us an offensive rebound to kind of reset us or, or even just somebody like Sid or Mel uh, or Sid or Maddie hitting shots or Mel playing great defense. Like, you know, but all of them are, are older players that have been around the block that know, okay, well, Hey, games are going to be tight and, you know, think teams are going to throw their best at us and whatnot. And just understanding how to play in that situation. People say to me all the time, Oh, congrats on coach of the year and whatnot. And I just, I just try to sail the way the best I can because the girls know how to play. They've been around the league now and they know how to, they know how to win games now. And so, you know, that's, it's really a testament to them and their growth kind of in the conference uh, now. Yeah, for sure. A little bit of a rough start first semester you guys were five and five uh yeah a little bit of inconsistency but fast forwarding to second semester here you guys went on an unbelievable win streak um you guys really started to find your niche and beating some pretty good teams um you guys swept site you beat Keanu um you yeah obviously beat us and then you ended your season with a seven-point loss to Augustana, who are a pretty good team. What flipped in second semester? You spoke about older having an older team, but was there a turning point maybe in first semester where the girls were, or maybe you led the charge, enough's enough, like we're better than this? Yeah, kind of talk about that. Was there a flip of the switch at any point? We we kind of hit a snag in 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 December, you know, just – things were not going great as a team and and there were a lot of team meetings a lot of individual meetings and and you know even through the first couple of weeks of January um coming up you know Red Deer was tough and they kind of started rolling a little bit before the semester um in first semester going into second and we had them right out of the gate and we played okay not great but we were going through a lot of things as a team and you know the team like I said, we had a bunch of meetings. We kind of talked it out, worked it out to the point where the team really kind of bonded and banded together and kind of gained a resilience to them where they just kind of said, Hey, things happen during games, but we're not going to stop fighting for each other. And they really kind of bonded over our struggles as a team. And I think that's what kind of led to our resilience. I mean, you look at our playoff run and we were down 10 in every game in the playoffs uh, at one point, but there was just no quit in the girls. And I, myself personally, I look at those struggles that we had in uh, December um, to really kind of, which we think those really kind of drove us to, to that bronze medal. We kind of see this a lot more on the women's side, culture and coming together and the understanding of the one common goal, I would say, obviously being a female and, going through those steps it is super important any little thing can turn out to be a big thing and when you nip Mm. those little things in the bud and really bite buy into the common goal especially on the women's side it is super important and I think a lot of people overstep that at times now look I watched I watched your playoff run um and to be honest you guys could have been in the gold medal game um you lost to the reigning champs by three Sorry, purposely I'm... digging at this wound here. <laughs> but it's just it still is honestly... raw. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, it is a testament to how well you guys were playing. Um, mm. yeah, I remember texting Chris and being like, "Man, like, we're on a 
they're going on a pretty good run here. But yeah, you guys played some very good basketball in playoffs. Getting the first bronze, talk us through the wild last three minutes against St. Mary's there. Oh man. <laughs> it was it was, you know, it was something else. And I've I've watched that fourth quarter a bunch of times. And I think if if memory serves me right, we had only given up two points in that fourth quarter from the start of the fourth quarter till about I think it was we gave up two points, and then the next point two points that we gave up was when Jasmine got that steal and made that layup with something like 45 seconds or something like that. If again, if memory serves correct, and it just yeah. It yeah. seemed like the, the girls were just like, hey, this is it. Like, we know we're not going to nationals anymore. Like, we're not leaving anything in the tank. And and they kind of just left it all out there. And, the, and I mean, I just remember I see in my dreams sometimes Mel just at the top of our one three one zone, just all over the place and just super active. And, you know, it was really it really was the defense that did it for us in that game. And then if you watch, like we pulled Dory, our starting point guard in the I mean, I think it was something like six minutes left or five minutes left she we subbed her out and and you know the lineup that we had out there was really working and then we got the ball back with eight seconds left and yeah. you know <laughs> for my money I don't think there's anybody that can stop Dory in a full sprint so we say hey there's no timeouts left you know what don't think <laughs> just get in the lane find somebody that's open and she found Eve who a uh, first year and she kind of banked it in, which was just, I mean, a huge shot for a first year. But, you know, that whole fourth quarter was was pretty crazy. Amber fouled out, I think, with eight minutes left or seven minutes left. And so we played most of the fourth quarter with without her. And it was just things kind of just came together in that perfect storm of, wow, this isn't really that perfect, but we're really making it work here. So I skipped over the first couple of games, but you guys <laughs> did beat a very good Concordia team, Hanley. Um, so... Yeah, going back to how well you guys played all playoffs, but I want to talk about the celebration of your team when you won that bronze. There was a video of it that was posted all over <laughs> ACAC. Um, yeah, it's just so cool to see when teams come together just to obviously get the most wins in program history, but then to get a bronze. Talk about the celebration with your girls because – I watched it live and I watched you and boy, you, you were, you were one proud coach there, but no, it was awesome to see and kind of talk about the, the bond that you share with, with your older players more so. You know, I, I've watched that video a bunch of times too. And I think, you know, I think that's probably the highest I've ever jumped. You know, <laughs> I don't think, you know, there is a frozen to... picture of that. <laughs> oh man. People used to make jokes about, you could slip a paper underneath with that, the vert that I have, but I, I was jumping up real high on that, but you know, it's, it's, it's just great. And I, even still now it's, you know, we're into planning for next year and whatnot, but that feeling is still there. And, you know, it's just, with the older players and, and the younger players too. Cause you know, I've, I've been around a lot of our younger players for multiple years now. So, I mean, most of them have been to our camp uh, and stuff like that. And so I've known them for a while and this has kind of just been something that has been, we've been building towards. And, and it was just, when I think back to that moment, the, as excited as I was, the, the kind of feeling that kind of came over me was just like relief. You know, it was just, wow we actually did it. And I remember as they're going down the line and they're handing out, they're handing out the medals. And I was just, I was looking at everybody and I could see the smiles and I was just like, man, we, 
we actually we actually did that 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 was really cool and and it's something you know as a program we've we've never done in the ACAC and and just to be a part of that I told the girls afterwards you know nobody will ever be able to take that away from them you know other teams will come and we're hoping to push forward and get golds and hopefully no silvers just golds um but you know people will look, look back on this team at Briarcrest and you know they'll never be able to take away that moment and that being the first team to ever get a medal that 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 breaking that record breaking season like nobody will ever be able to take that from them and i think that's kind of where that celebration came for them as a team to just know that they did something just really really special that can never be taken away yeah we've uh, we've had the privilege of going through the same thing uh, and it is so big to bust through the wall for the first mm-hmm. time and, and really let yourself and and the team know that you guys are there and, and you're that close and it creates a lot of hunger i would say and I know Tori's going to ask about this, but watching your team play, there's been two players over the years that really embody kind of your team. And I, I think the physical nature of the way that you guys played really helped you guys in playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, Brooklyn Martins being one of them, uh, just an absolute bulldog. And the other one who's injured this year, Hope Jordans, I, I think like watching those two players over the last few years, just whatever needs to be done, they just do it. Mm-hmm. sometimes not pretty sometimes really pretty uh they just do it and you could see that kind of filter over to the team but I, that first one is a sweet one and i think now i have to think you guys are probably hungrier than ever now that you guys punch through that because now you, you got just like a little taste of the steak and you're coming back for the whole thing i gotta assume it's it's funny like tori you know you're taking the dig at us about, you know, losing that semifinal game. But, you know, as a coach, you know, if you're not going to make it and get to nationals and whatnot, the next best thing is to lose that, that semifinal game by just that small margin to kind of drive the hunger for the next year of just being that close. You know, obviously we wanted to win and we wanted to get to that gold medal game to experience going to nationals and whatnot, but to be that short, just that small little bit in the semifinal, like it, it's driving our team and we've had, you know, an incredible off season uh, so far. We have players that multiple players that have stayed in Caronport for the summer, which has been something that just hasn't happened before. You know, we've had six, I think that stayed and that just, we've never had that before. And and a lot of that is just like that hunger from, from losing that semifinal game. And, you know, it's, it's been great to see. And I'm, I'm excited for, for what we can do going forward but then on the flip side too there's uh like you were talking with megan uh on the last episode i'm telling the girls already you know we're not we're not the you know what's what's the we're not the hunter anymore you know (laughs) we're the we're the hunted right people are going to come every game and give us their best effort because they know we're not going to sneak up on them anymore right and so we have to be ready for that every single game now Man, six players to stay in current. I was just gonna say, super jealous of that. We we have three this year, and it's like a huge win. Uh, <laughs> I think that goes to show their their push for next season. Just the amount of touches. Uh, I don't think people that don't know the ACC well, uh, Briarcrest, Karenport is located in the middle of nowhere, like Lakeland. Yeah, uh, they're in the south nowhere. We're in the north nowhere. Um. <laughs> But there, you know, you guys are close to Musha. What is it? Twenty minutes? Yeah, or twenty minutes. Twenty yeah. minutes, not too far from Regina. But um, it's hard for players to stay, and uh, us having three, you guys having six, 
um, just for a coach or assistant coach or skills trainer to get that many touches, it's massive because the city schools have such a big advantage in Edmonton and Calgary because mm-hmm. all their kids are there. If you look at some of these programs, they're just they're just playing club year round together and they're getting mm-hmm. all those reps. So um, I'm not saying we have to fight harder on the perimeter, but we do. Um, <laughs> we do. And so credit to you for those girls staying and really credit to the girls because uh, mm-hmm. I would bet when we see you guys in September and play exhibition games, I'll be able to pick out who it was because they're mm-hmm. going to make huge jumps in their game. Yeah. And it's I mean, you know, it's great because both of our point guards stayed in, in Dory and Hannah. And, you know, that's been that's been huge coming. I mean, like I said, I don't think anybody can stop Dory in a full court situation, but now working on her game to slow her down a little bit um, and just to get her a little more under control. She's made huge strides and Hannah as a backup point guard last year, playing 15, 18 minutes, like having the both of them stay and being able to work with them multiple times throughout the summer. And I mean, just, you know, Position wise, if if your point guards are there with you, like you're gonna be in pretty good shape if we're if we're all on the same page. Well, I can definitely attest to that. Stayed <laughs> yep. for a summer and <laughs> yeah, I got to annoy the hell out of my coach for a summer, but <laughs> definitely can say that it paid off. But yeah, going back to individual players now, Brooklyn Mountains and Amber Fickner basically were double doubles mm-hmm. per game, um, especially mm-hmm. in playoffs. Came up huge, um, both only in the third year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so you got Dory Sunderland who just completed her second year. But yeah, you you talk about these people that are putting up good numbers for you. They technically, they're old, but they're, they're not that old. Mm-hmm. They've still got quite a few years of eligibility left. COVID bump. COVID yep. bump. Yeah. That's right. Yep. So yeah. see, with the season ending and you got people staying Talk about how the recruiting has been after losing, I mean, winning a bronze medal, sorry, and keeping those players around. Are you adding any big additions or basically relying on those girls to carry more of the load again as they get older? Because as we said, you can't compete with age. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things for our team this year that I'm I'm really excited about, you know, we had a really big roster last year. And, and we are losing somebody from, or we are losing people from that, but the, the, from our rotation of the eight that we, that were in our rotation, seven are coming back, which is just a big number. And then we're adding, um, hope was hope Jordans, who was our leading scorer last year. Um, she, she didn't play this year. And I mean, a special kudos to her because, you know, she had the, she could have come back in second semester and she said, Hey, this is going really well. And she worked as our assistant coach last year, which was a really cool, um, really cool thing for her, cool growth for her. Um, but she said, Hey, we're trying, we're doing something really special here and I want to use my fifth year on a full year. Um, so she, she sat and, and it was hard, um, for sure. But you know, she's coming back onto a team that is ready, ready built. And I mean, you know, she's, so she's coming back. We're bringing back another fifth year from, uh, a couple years ago, that was a starter for us, um, Victoria Voth, uh, who started for us for four years. And so she's coming back. And then, you know, we have a really good recruit class of high schoolers coming in. And um, one of them, Asia Wells, she's from Regina. Uh, she was a big player in Saskatchewan this year. And so we're really excited because for us at Briarcrest, we just, we haven't had that type of recruit. I mean, she she was in the 5A final and she was, you know, probably a top three player in the province this year. And, you know, for us at Briarcrest to have that 
sort of recruit high school recruit come in from in province like we just haven't really been in that situation before so being able to win a bronze medal I think kind of pushed us in that direction to be able to get that type of recruit and then having some older players come back like you guys said age age is how you compete in this conference and so we're pretty excited to be bringing back two fifth years um, with the really good group of high school recruits that we have coming in all right i don't know if you know this but the skeppels are notorious for recruiting so um his dad actually recruited me in high school and did uh, to king's college uh when i was like a 17 year old 18 year old one of those two and he did such a good job i almost went to school there he he almost <laughs> sold me on it so i think it's in the blood and credit to your dad and when you see him you tell him i said that uh, i ran into him this summer but uh they they know how to recruit it's just Seems like it. it's just a, a blood given thing so i i don't know you know he's he's got kids running around when they start coaching they're going to be able to recruit <laughs> i know it i know it i worked one summer as a salesman and i thought i was pretty bad at it but i guess i'm doing okay as a salesman <laughs> in this job because i'm able to convince some people to come out to karenport when you speak about having a big roster and i can only talk about myself um obviously being a player i like 12 I like a smaller number and I know as coaches, you guys like bigger and I'm learning that, but how do you get all of these girls to buy in and how do you set precedence on where you want to go in the culture? Because I know, especially nowadays, girls just want to come in and, and expect to play. How, yeah. How do you go around that to keep people invested in your program, especially in a place like small town, Karenport? It was, it was hard. It was, it was honestly the hardest part of this year was trying to met. I mean, we had 19 on our roster, which was just too many. Um, I would, I would say that I'd probably never go back to 19, but a lot of that, it was just the year before we had 11 and I kind of over recruited because, Oh, I don't want to end up with 11 because you know, where there were times when you have players missing practice for class or somebody's maybe a little banged up. We just, we didn't even have 10. Right. And so, you know, I was like, okay, well I have to, have a bigger roster and it kind of it kind of bit me a little bit in that it was really hard to keep everybody invested in what was what was happening especially like if you were you know a red shirt or things like that but once we kind of got rolling um it obviously it kind of seemed that hey everybody was kind of buying in but a lot of that was the veterans kind of just sat everybody down and said hey this is what we're trying to accomplish and even though you are not getting that time in game. You are still a huge part of what we're doing. And you're, you know, the reps that you get in practice are great for development, but then they're also helping us as, you know, rotation players kind of build our game up. And that was, you know, the messaging really came from them. Sometimes I joke around that I like to send things through my captain because or through our captains, because the team is more likely to say yes if it comes from the girls <laughs> than if it comes from me. Uh, and that's that's kind of what happened. The girls took ownership of it and they took ownership of our season and said, hey, yeah, it sucks if you're, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, but like we're trying to do something here and everybody is a part of it. You know, at the end of the year, everybody, if we get there, everybody gets a medal. Everybody gets to go to nationals if we get there, that sort of thing. And so that I think kind of brought everybody together. Um, it's, yeah, like I said, it's not something that I would, look at doing again with that many but you know for what it was it really helped us because you know we we have a practice once a week that's at two o'clock in the afternoon and we have a lot of players that are in class but I don't think there was a practice all year where we had less than 10 people yeah. and you know that really helped to be able to go five on five and even just five on five with subs and so 
there for as hard as it was, there were still what there still were some benefits to having that big of a roster. So the COVID babies comment I made earlier, um, it's a real thing, Tori. Like me and Tori have this argument quite often now that she's a coach. And on this side, um, we have it more and more. But originally when COVID hit, I think everyone thought this is gonna backlog rosters for a year or two and it's gonna clear out. Mm-hmm. This is a five-year backlog. Mm-hmm. Um and we had a large roster just like you did last year. And we lost uh, four kids that we put a ton of time into skill development, looking at them long-term and uh, they just want to play, which ultimately mm-hmm. I always say, if you're looking for a place to play, we're not the program. Uh, like it's, you know, we're trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. that you guys are talking about. We're trying to accomplish something special. Mm-hmm. Um, this backlog is still happening. And now yeah. what's it's causing is, the high school kids that are coming out might not be able to crack rosters. They're redshirting. And now it's almost, I actually mm-hmm. think it's going to be like closer to eight years when we're all yeah. done this COVID pump. I don't, I don't know how you feel with it, but that's what I'm seeing up here. Oh, I would absolutely agree. I mean, you have players that, especially if they, if something happened with maybe like an injury or they took a year off, like you'll, like I said, I have a player that started her career in when did hope start 17, 16, 17. I think it was, it was, 17 18 was her first year i think it was her 16 17 or 17 or 18 that's a long time ago and i mean she's gonna finish up in 24 25 which is like eight years or something like that toward dugan trek right there yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and that's that's uh like i would agree like we're gonna be dealing with the the backlog or the extra eligibility for still a couple more years and it it is having effect on high school recruits coming in because people want to play and, and even transfers and whatnot, they want to play. And in with the backlog, they're looking for any place that they can go that will give them minutes. And that is having a, having an effect on the high school game and, and recruiting high school athletes. And you have to be very selective with what you say to females because men, mm-hmm. you can just not to sexualize anything here, but you can say whatever you want to men and they can take it maybe with a grain of salt, but with, females you have to keep repeating yourself with in a very nice manner to what what we're striving to do and Mm. I struggle with that as a player because I'm a bit of a hard ass and I was like (laughs) I was fortunate enough to rely on my teammates and um or my co-captain sorry and then when we were able to win they were like oh this is why we were told to board in Mm. which is like really good to see with your program when the older girls we're telling them to buy in and I'm sure that feeling of winning a bronze mm-hmm. would definitely be okay this is why we do it and we want to do it again but better next season well the why the why is so important I've found like having coached guys having coached women like the why is so much more important on the women's side than it is on the guy's side yeah. guys I mean I, I'm a guy like guys want to just hoop they'll hoop forever they'll hoop till they're like 40 they'll be yeah. you know hey I got one year of eligibility left let me use it at 37 <laughs> you know like they just want to hoop and they don't really care why but you know on uh, especially with our team like last year they really needed to know the why and once they understood the why like that's like I said that's when we flourished Sorry, I muted you there, Tori. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. You, you're coaching teams. Ask, what are you, you 15 boys? Is that right? You yeah, 15, 15 boys. boys. Yeah. So um, last two summers, I've got to coach our local club, our U18s and U15 boys. Um, I've found it really refreshing um, going from coaching girls 12 months a year for the last 13 years or whatever to switch over. How has the change been uh, shifting gears? Uh, taking your mind off of Briarcrest a little bit, but uh, mm-hmm. coaching these young 
you know, essentially grade eight boys that are just full of energy and mm-hmm. don't always listen. Uh, tell me, <laughs> tell me about the changeover for this summer and coaching with Team Sass. Oh man, it's uh, I was I was talking with somebody today actually, and I said I miss the maturity of college women athletes, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's been so cool. Like I I was telling somebody the other day, I sometimes a hard thing for me is I'm getting players at the end of their journey, right? Like we're just trying to refine that last little bit in their basketball, in their athletic journey, where with the U15 boys, with the boys here, like I'm getting them towards the beginning. Some of them are just starting to think about, okay, what is, what is life going to look for me? Can I play at the next level? And I mean, they are, we're working with them on a lot of things and they're learning a lot of things because they, they need to learn a lot of things. Um, but it's cool to see them, you know, it's, they're very raw and very, you know, they're just in that place where they're able to be shaped and molded as basketball players and people, which is just, it's really cool to be a part, a small part of that journey for them. And, you know, we were just down in the States last week with the, with the provincial team and it was just, it was a really cool trip. You know, we played 12 11 12 games or something like that in five days and it was a grind but seeing them grow throughout the week um was was just really cool and starting they're starting to realize what it takes to play at a high level how how they can be impact players at a high level that you know is not just scoring because a lot of them come from programs whether it's elementary school or junior teams or maybe senior teams um as grade eights and nines where they are the focal point and they you know play all the minutes and score however many points a game but they're starting to realize okay if i want to be an impact player you know at this level at the next level i'm gonna have to do it playing defense being a great talker being a great communicator great rebounder those sorts of things like more so than scoring i mean you know Tori, I think you led our league in scoring last year. And I've, I've used the example of, I don't think there has been a Canadian that's led our league in scoring in a very long time. And, you know, most of the players that lead our leagues in scoring on the guy's side and the, and the women's side are internationals. So if you're going to be an impact player at the next level, it's probably not going to be as a scorer. And it's, it's nice to see them starting to realize that and taking ownership of things like defense and, and just being great teammates and, and they just have so much energy. I just can't keep up. I mean, my oldest is seven and he has a lot of energy. And I'm I'm like, these guys are just another level. I'm like, when do you guys sleep? Yeah, Probably never. yeah we, we just took ours to Seattle and uh, oh, 18, oh 18s, but uh, it's a ton of fun. A lot of energy, uh, a lot of creativeness, a lot of like mm. harnessing. It. And you, you talked about that uh, guys to girls thing. And I might've said it on here, but like, the the thing with the culture that you're talking about on the girls side is winning doesn't just set the culture straight on the girls side um mm-hmm. on the guys side winning guys will fall in line because they're like yeah. okay yeah we're winning let's just this is how it's going to be girls side it takes a lot of attention it takes a lot of communication um and you they be felt like you're careful everyone's everyone's got to mm-hmm. be important so mm-hmm. um the, once again not to reiterate but the fact that those girls are staying i think is a, a huge piece of the puzzle for you guys so we've gone back to first time in oh, a decade, just under a decade, back to North and South. You guys, being from Karenport, travel doesn't bother you. Um, nope. You guys go on crazy road trips all the time. Um, just give us your thoughts on going back to the North and South. You're a fan. Um, like I said, travel doesn't bother you. But yeah, give us your thoughts. I love it. You know, the first time it came in, I think, was my fourth year playing at Kings and I don't know how much I liked it then 
but I really like it now. I mean, there's a personal side of it too. Like I'm from Edmonton, right? My parents are still in, all of my family is still in Edmonton. My wife's family is in Rocky Mountain House, which is kind of near Red Deer, but it just gives more opportunity for my parents to come watch us play without traveling, you know, six, seven hours. And, you know, with our recruiting and trying to recruit all over, I think it's just really cool that having players from different places, their parents can come watch without having to travel a huge amount. And I, I just like seeing everybody. It's, it's cool for me. And then on that, does it take a toll on your girls with the amount of travel that you have to do? Uh, I know that you can use that time to travel to team bond and whatnot, but we got to keep in mind that these, these girls are student athletes Mm -hmm. and you're traveling a lot. Um, yeah. Does it take a toll on your girls long-term? I think it does, you know, that like as much as I love it, and I think our girls loved it a lot too. It does, it does take a toll. And even just if we were doing just South, um, you know, the travel does take a toll on us. You know, this year we had to go to Grand Prairie and that was 12 hours travel time on like, not even just like with stops and whatnot. And, it was a hard trip. We traveled to Grand Prairie. You know, we leave every game. We leave on Thursdays. We leave Thursday nights, but we left Thursday morning. We're all day on the bus. Got in about nine o'clock to Grand Prairie, which was earlier than we usually do. But, you know, then the next night we're off to Edmonton and that's a drive too. And then, you know, we're driving back eight hours on Sunday to Cairnport. And that's, it was a hard week. We had a lot of players sick that week leading into the games. And then afterwards, you could just tell, like, there were some pretty beat up pretty beat up athletes like on our guys and girls side just with the travel and so we try to give them days off to say hey okay look you know that was a rough week here's a couple days off but there there is definitely a toll and you know I think it's going to be something I'm sure that the league looks at after this year because I think it's two-year cycle I think right and so this year yeah yeah I mean I I hope they stay with it I do but I that is going to be a that's something going to be something that they're going to look at and of course the budget impact that it has but you know, from our our standpoint, being able to see, you know, every team is really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I think four games against every team is overkill if we just did north versus south. You know, I think, you know, we don't need to see Red Deer or Med Hat or St. Mary's four times, right? Like, you know, give us somebody. It makes us feel like one conference. Of course, that's just my opinion on it. And for our listeners, I guess, outside who don't understand the way uh, ACAC works or just CCAA in general, we do not have the funding to jump on a plane and fly. Yeah. Um, we have to go through the bus trips and this is what I explained to people where don't want to use this analogy, but I think we're built a little bit stronger. Um, you have to be a lot mental, a lot more mentally tough, mm-hmm. um, to get through those kind of challenges. And yeah, you can be on, like I said, a 12 hour bus trip. I remember even breaking down to Grand Prairie one trip and, having to push the game back get off the bus you're changed you're on the floor Um, yeah yeah for those outside listeners we in Canada do not get the luxury of flying on a plane at the collegiate level so maybe I don't know if some rich sponsors want to be out there to give us some (laughs) give us a plane that would be great resiliency (laughs) it's lessons in resiliency is what it is yeah yeah come on Uh, Jack give us that sponsorship (laughs) yeah and it's you know Megan and I talked about it. it it's you miss whatever level you play. If you play U sport level, you're missing school anyways. It's a little mm-hmm. nicer flying, but um, the road trips I think are important for the team bonding at this level. And, and it is important for them to see all of Alberta. And I, I don't want to play teams four times. Like when we did it, 
I thought it was the worst, to be honest. Whether mm-hmm. you're strong that year or weak that year, it's just it's not a lot of fun. Two games, mm-hmm. fine. Three mm-hmm. games, probably one too many. Um, to be honest. Um, parlaying on to Tori's question about it. So, uh, this season, three South teams in the final four. I believe the year that we won, it was three North teams in the final four. Uh, oh no, it was even uh, the last one. Yeah, us. Next. It was the Keanu year. Same. Yeah. So it bounces back and forth. Uh, new playoff format, only two South and two North. Uh, this greatly affects the South. So last year, the South was a little bit stronger on the whole, in my opinion. Uh, and it showed, you know, at the end of the season. Thoughts on this two North, two South making the final four. My fear is that we are going to have one of the top four or five best teams not be in a final four. Most likely one of the top three best teams could be. Hmm. You know, I've I've thought about this question a lot as I've been listening to other <laughs> uh, other episodes, but I actually was a big fan of the way it was done this year. Um, Finally. I think, yeah, I think it needs to be refined a little bit, um, you know, but you're right. This year, the South was stronger. And if we went to a two, two and two, both sides, would the four strongest teams have gotten there? I don't believe so right and so i think like you said it's all it's about putting our best four teams in that final four and i think crossing over is hugely important because you're going to have years where the north is stronger where the south is stronger and you know we need to just figure that out and not have you know okay well it's even two and two i don't i just don't think it works that many works out that way many times right it's just there there always seems to be when i was playing when i've when my dad was coaching whatnot, there always just seems to be one division that's stronger. And the important thing that we should be thinking about with playoffs is putting the best teams forward. Even, even this year, I think for as much as I liked the final eight and whatnot, I, I did think that it needed a little bit of refinement in that there were, I, I don't want to say anything. I'm not trying to be detrimental or anything, but there was a team in the South that missed with, quite a few more wins than a team in the north right and so there is no perfect that's because we play. lost just so you're just so everyone's clear that's because we lost that's what no, you're no, saying no no it's no, okay no. <laughs> rub it in <laughs> but you know that it's you know there's never going to be a perfect way to do it but i i do think what we had this year was was pretty good and i the thing i think when i think about it is we're on a two-year cycle with the schedule being interlocked why why change without changing like without looking at everything as a whole right if this to me if it came after the two-year cycle okay hey we didn't think this really worked we've given it two years on the cycle we need to address it with something different now like i'd be okay you know let's let's see what they have in mind but i i do think you know we need to cross over i think and the final four i'm not super sold on it yet i think that's a that's a great point i'm not quite sure why the playoff schedule can get changed in cycle when Mm -hmm. we're going to review the north south schedule um after so great point very diplomatic for everyone listening in last year lakeland was 10 and 10 and finished fourth 
They lost to the five seed who was seven and 13 who played well and beat us. They deserve to go. Um, But when you look at that and Megan brought it up, like even their record doesn't look as good when you put it in the South. And that's just the way it went last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The South teams won those games. So uh, that can change anyway, but we'll Mm -hmm. we'll take that. Everyone mark it down. Subtle shade was thrown by Skeppel here at Lakeland. (laughs) Just mark that down. Uh, But that's the way it goes in playoffs. Anyone can beat anyone. And Mm -hmm. and the playing game is a good thing. Um, You know, it gives that... um, Go ahead. I, I do like the the shrunken play in game, right? You know, like I heard you talking with somebody, you know, six of seven teams making it or six of eight is a little bit of overkill, but shrinking the play the playing game to a four or five matchup, I think is I think that's a really good decision. And I think that, you know, we'll just kind of bring a higher level of competitiveness to the to the playoffs. Um but yeah, I, I like the final eight. And I, I was a big fan, of course, because we got to go for the first time. But I liked the banquet. I liked also just seeing everybody there. It was cool to hang out with everybody. And I remember making a comment to somebody. You could tell this was a college tournament because during the day, everybody was doing homework. And, it, and if it was a high school tournament, you'd have everybody in the pool messing around. But you walk through those hallways and you walk through the little the common area and it was so quiet because you saw like 15 girls doing homework. I got to say that every year you look forward to the banquet. Like that is one thing. And I, I think a lot of people don't understand how much we as players value that. Like yeah. especially the past two years, my last two years when it got, I guess, wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah the banquet stuff that you touched on, it is cool to see. It's great to mm-hmm. see other teams and even girls in particular, you make friendships with yes. other people from other teams and yes. you, you become big supporters of those who want to go further outside mm-hmm. of just ACAC. So I definitely think the banquet needs to be valued a little bit more, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay. Your thoughts this year on who do you think is going to be tough? I know that each year this is like, cliche question or who do you think is going to be good or whatnot but who do you think's a sleeper this year who maybe will rise up and yeah who do you think's probably you're going to be your biggest rival to match up against well i mean if i can say i think our biggest rival that we're all trying to catch is sitting right here so i think it's you guys that we're trying to what? catch so <laughs> you know i took the subtle shade earlier but now now gotta pump you up a little bit right yeah, he's, you know he's, he's being super nice right now tori <laughs> you know I, I i think you know you guys with with the players you guys are bringing back can be extremely tough and you'll have that those veterans coming back that know how to play and red deer avery has always got something you know got something going and then st mary's is really loading up and you know, I haven't heard anything out of Lethbridge. They've been pretty quiet about about what's happening there, but they're always really strong. And, you know, I I worry, even even not worry, but Ambrose as well. Like there's just it's gonna be a tough road for us. You know, there's gonna be a lot of teams that are, I think, highly competitive this year that I think anybody could come out of that um the that playoffs, however it looks, or I still am a little confused on it, but you know, whoever comes out of the playoffs. <laughs> You know, it could be any one of, I mean, six or seven teams, right? And I'm, me personally, I'm hoping it's us. But, you know, if if sure. not, I'm hoping that we're playing you guys in the finals so that, <laughs> you know, we can get that berth to nationals. But, you know, like it's, it could be any one of, you know, six, seven teams. I mean, it's a very highly competitive conference. And I, I look at, you know, St. Mary's is somebody, I think, and Red Deer that we're trying to catch in the South. And we're trying to 
you know, build the kind of consistency that, that, that a St. Mary's has had, or, you know, maybe not so much Red Deer as a program, but that Avery has had as a coach, you know, we're trying to reach that standard, that sort of level. Same thing with you guys that you guys have had over the last 10, eight, 10 years, you know, we're trying to get to that level. We've had the one year and that, and that was great, but now we need to kind of push to sustain that, that um, consistency as a winning, as a competitive program. And so, you know, the, those are the three teams I think we're we're trying to catch in St. Mary's and Red Deer and you guys. Well, we appreciate it. I would agree with uh, St. Mary's and Red Deer. I think both will be strong. You guys are obviously going to be strong. And this is what makes this playoff format weirder this year. There's been lots of years that we've been in the playoffs, and you can say that there's a legitimate top three, top four teams that are just like a tier above. And lots of times mm-hmm. it's one or two teams. I do believe next year there's going to be five or six teams that yeah. could win. Um, yeah. I think the the parity this year in our league was very good um, last season. And I think next year the parity is going to be very good again with everyone getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, so I expect, you know, the two teams to go to nationals. I hope that both teams do well at nationals, but um, I do think that any five or six teams could win. And it's not always that way when you get to the mm-hmm. final eight of playoffs. So um a bad year for us to be in this format, but uh, you got to win the games to get there. And um, mm-hmm. it is a long grind uh, over the yeah. course of the season. And uh, there, there is, you know, Leftbridge. I know that they've added a couple of players, um, classic Leftbridge. I think a couple older players coming back, um, which mm-hmm. seems to happen quite often. And uh, you know, Augustana up here will yes. be quite strong. They lost a lot yes. of a lot. Megan downplayed it. They lost a lot of, players but uh they, they will be strong so yes they will, I'm, sure. I'm super excited i think we're gonna see a year next year where we're gonna see a lot of those 14 and 6 13 mm-hmm. and 7 i don't expect to see teams you know going yeah. 20 you know or anything like yeah. that um i think that'd be far-fetched I, I do think our top will be very strong and it, it will be super competitive league so mm-hmm. um yeah and the other thing and i asked shane this um tell me the secret sauce to the hangar what is the secret sauce in the hangar? <laughs> it's, uh, it's the toughest place to play. Um, I'm starting to hear that Friday is the toughest day, which I thought in my head. Um, it is loud. It's a tough home court. What is, is it? The fans? Is it the culture? Give me, give me what it is, so we can implement it here. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that there just isn't much to do here. You know, there's not much to do. So it's Friday night. Let's let's pack the gym and and get going. And we are very fortunate. I And I heard you talking about this with Megan. I always told the girls that toughest gym that I have ever had to play in as a player was Augustana. And and it was there. There were times leaving on the bus where I was like, wow, that sucked. (laughs) Never coming back. (laughs) Yeah, that was just not nice. But, you know, our gym is is pretty much it's at that level as well where it's it's very tough to play in and you know it's small it's old and because of that the fans are right on top of you and they're loud and and you know i i watch it i go back and watch it but i have some clips from our playing game against olds and just seeing the gym kind of wall to wall packed was just really cool and it's it's a very unique place to play it's a very unique place to coach and, and to be a part of this program. It's unique. And we, we've even brought in, you know, to get ready for loud gyms and playoff games and whatnot, we've brought in some 
guys from the dorms to yell at us <laughs> in practice and and they just they just love it and they just eat that sort of stuff up and and it just translates into games where they're like hey let's head over to the gym and just scream for three hours three and a half hours while the volleyball teams or basketball teams or hockey team is playing and oh you should see the hockey games it the hockey games get crazier because the guys are just right on the glass and they're I'm, sometimes i'm afraid the glass is going to come down <laughs> well it's and it's two rows right like I, I stan took me on a tour of it like i didn't realize it's like legit two rows so it's oh, yeah. it's crazy yeah. i did i did put a request in and i know anthony's going to hear this at some point so when we play Briarcrest, Anthony Wong from the ACAC, when we play Briarcrest, it is on a Saturday and <laughs> hockey plays at the same time. That's that's what's happening in the future. But uh, in all seriousness, if you guys finish first and you guys win your play-in of the play-in, there's a chance you guys could be hosting Final Four this year, which am, would be well, pretty I'm, crazy. I am dreaming of that. I've that for me that. That would be really cool. That is a, a personal goal that I haven't talked with the team about, but we've kind of mentioned it with the new format, but right. we, we've we gone from, okay, we hosted a playoff game this year. Now it's like, what if we were hosting the final four or the yeah. playoffs, whatever it was? Like, can you imagine our gym if we were hosting the playoffs and, and had a chance to win a gold medal on our home floor? Like that would be just so special. And I cannot imagine what the gym would be like if we were hosting the playoffs, like the final four, it would just be insanity. Tori, Tori, tell us about it. Well worth it. I'm just saying if it gives you any motivation to win on your home floor is well worth it. So that'd be so cool. Definitely spread it. I mean, not to give you a little tips, but if anyone (laughs) listening, spread it to your teams in the South, it's well worth it. Does, uh, does Stan have backup bleachers for the other side of the court? Is there bleachers that roll out there or not? We we've actually brought in bleachers before. Okay. We like to on the other side. So um my first year here as assistant AD, we had something, I think it was our volleyball weekend. We host like a big youth conference. And so oh, right. there was a yeah. volleyball weekend that weekend. So we actually brought in extra seating and that game was packed. <laughs> oh man. That was that was just noise. I had to get out of the gym and be like, oh. I can actually hear myself think again. And volleyball every two seconds cheering. Yeah. Cheering every two seconds. Yeah. Those are games you throughout to play in. Pressure is a privilege. Love it. (laughs) I I love the big games like that. I love when the gym is packed. I love love going to road games where the gym is packed. You know, like Augustana, even you guys, like, those metal, those the metal on the bottom of the bleachers there, like, it gets loud. I I love those types of environments. Like, it's just... That's why we do it, right? I can't play anymore. I'm too old and the <laughs> knees don't work. So I get my excitement from those big games like that where it's nice and loud. Yeah, and, the, and the giving it back to the crowd, there's nothing more fulfilling. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, that is 100% true. <laughs> Tor- Tori reliving those moments. But uh, <laughs> no, I I think you guys, uh, the future is bright for you guys, obviously. And, and last season was a, an amazing year. And I know that you guys are going to work super hard to keep going in the right direction. So um, we're excited to see you. I think we play exhibition late September. I think yeah. right? we do the yeah. double header. You guys are coming up here, so that'll be good. Yeah. Uh, get you guys on our floor and down for a weekend. Uh, Shane says that I owe you guys wings. So I guess yep. that's a, that's a done deal. Um, I paid last year. So you guys are paying this year. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. We will get it done, but, uh, thanks for having you on with all this coaching you're doing this summer. Make sure you take a break. Take some time with the family before you get cranked into August. But uh, we really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. 
thanks guys i really appreciate it i love that you guys are doing this i just i love the the uh, boost you guys are giving to the conference by doing it very cool thanks so much tori great chat with anthony um had a lot to say about Briarcrest basketball the one thing that always shows up when he speaks is he's pumped he's pumped he gets you pumped about Briarcrest basketball basketball in general uh big takeaways for you as you would be he's high off a very successful year but and my takeaways from that is again we speak about how he had a bigger roster and trying to keep people um engaged with the common goal and why it's so hard especially in a small town we can relate having a college here in Lloydminster trying to get kids to stick around. And I think he's done a really good job. Like he said, he's got six kids that have stuck around for the summer to get better. And yeah, it's quite clear that all of those girls after tasting a little bit of bronze medal glory in ACAC that they don't want a gun for anything less than that. So really expecting a strong season from Briarcrest Clippers this this year. Yeah. The Clippers are on the rise. Okay. And uh, potential, you never know what's going to happen in the South, but could be potential final four play. So the the hangar that we talk about um, that could be hosting the final four. So that'd be an exciting thing. Uh, once again, we want to thank everyone for tuning into the podcast. We're getting more likes, more listens all the time. Uh, wherever you guys are listening, make sure to like us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And most of all, thanks for listening to Hold My Clipboard. I'm Chris King. And I'm Tori Dugan. And we will see you guys next week. <laughs>